Welcome to another episode of the Parklander podcast. Joining us today is a candidate for seat one of Parkland Commission, Alex Zand. Welcome, Alex. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit to the audience? Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for having me. My name is Alex Zand, and I'm running for Parkland City Commissioner District 1. Uh, I was born and raised right here in Parkland, Florida, and I've lived uh, on both the east side of Parkland and Sable Pass and the west side of Parkland now in Heron Bay. Um, At Florida Atlantic University, I studied political science with a double minor in public management and sociology because I've always been interested in how people interact with one another, especially in terms of public service. Uh, I've I've had a passion for helping my community. uh, I've done so throughout high school and college now. Um, and once I got to college, that's when I really truly found my calling. Um, I've interned for many different people on the local, state, and federal levels. Mm-hmm. And I've been mentored by um, people that are from the Broward County level all the way up to the federal level. So Excellent. I've got the experience. I've got the passion, the drive, and the enthusiasm. And through my experiences and the relationships with all of these political and public figures, I think that uh, serving my community is what I was truly meant to do. Excellent. So that's good to see you so motivated. And then, you know, from a city level, what do you like as a candidate? If you get elected, what's your priority for the for the city of Parkland? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, I mean, my my three main priorities are to enhance community wide safety, mm-hmm. uh, to expand community services and our parks and recreation, and to maintain responsible development. But more specifically, there's many different things. Uh, that I can that I want to see improved upon. Mm-hmm. Um, one main issue that I've I've been seeing um, has been the roads on Pine Tree Estates. Another one has been the roads in Loxahatchee. I don't know if you've driven on Loxahatchee, but that road is just very dangerous to drive on. The roads are very narrow, yep. and um, I I've personally seen way too many people taking a, an illegal three point turn on that road. <laughs> so we definitely need to. Uh, implement and install a median and a bike lane and uh, some sidewalks that go throughout the entire road. And I know that the city's in the works of planning that, but that needs to get done now because the sooner that that gets done, the sooner that we can drive safely on that road. Because as of right now, I personally don't feel safe driving on that road. Yeah, that but, road's been there for so long. I think it's, uh, it's it wasn't designed to the type of population now that's actually it's supporting, I think. so. It's yeah, especially with the... Yeah, there, there's a lot of development now that's going on on the west end of Loxahatchee Road. You have um, now you have Four Seasons that has been developed, and mm-hmm. now you're having Sabro, which is past that, and Gator Acres, which is owned by the developer Brian Tuttle, and that's a huge issue that's going on right now. Are you familiar with that? No, actually, yeah, I haven't heard that. What's going on? Yeah, so uh, long story short, what's happening on on the west end with that uh, parcel of land called Gator Acres? is it's currently unincorporated Broward County. So it's actually not Parkland owned. Oh, I see. Okay. And the problem with that is that since Parkland doesn't have any jurisdiction on the land, they are not able to zone the land appropriately right. to accommodate right. for um, for the rest of Parkland. So okay. throughout Parkland, a lot of the, the residential communities are either two or three uh, units per acre. Mm-hmm. And Brian Tuttle is trying to build affordable housing on there and have 25 units per acre, which would just completely mess uh, our entire city structure up. It would 
I mean, it would uh, overcrowd our schools and overcrowd the parks. And especially it would drive more traffic to an already unsafe Loxahatchee Road. Right. I think the infrastructure is really like hasn't changed too much, right? With all the developments, it's built up, especially the one come into and out of the Parkland area. So, yeah, I mean, that definitely sounds like a concern for the for the residents to have yeah. like, worse commute and uh, longer, like more issues, potentially traffic issues. Exactly. But I mean, Parkland's an amazing city to live. I, I know you and I have talked about that yep. probably like, previously. And it's an amazing place to raise your family. It's also an amazing place now to retire with all of our 55 and up communities that we're building. Yep. And I think it's important to prioritize those 55 and up communities because the more communities we're having now, we need to have events and, and activities tailored to them. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that we don't have as many as we should. And how would you approach it? Like, are you, is this something that... Uh... Like uh, you know, like accelerating some of the plans from the city is that the would you see uh, like what's driving it? Is it the cost or is it like a priority from the city? Um, was driving the the fifty five and up? Uh, no, driving the, uh, the 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 we're not yet uh, addressing the infrastructural problems to to handle the developments. Oh yeah, so well on the west end of Loxahatchee right now because it's Broward County owned we don't have any leverage on that land. Mm-hmm. So we just need to be proactive and find a, a solution where we can uh, annex that land into Parkland. And I'm all right. for annexing the land in Parkland, but it's not gonna be easy. And I think that we can use the, the land that is in Parkland that Brian Tuttle owns, mm-hmm. um, which is the Sabra land, and use that as leverage, um, whether it be not giving him permits or uh, just, changing up the zoning there to, to kind of frustrate him a little bit and make him want to cooperate with the city because then we can sort of come to a compromise. And right. it's all about compromising. And I, I know that there's going to be a solution. I'm not worried about that. And yeah. I'm confident in our current city leadership. And come November, I am confident in my own leadership. And I know that after speaking with many of the residents, they are too. Yeah, no, that's that's a very good point that you bring it up, and I think we all want to Parkland to keep developing, but in a way also not to, at the detriment of anyone's you know like uh, enjoyment of you know the, the home, and um, and what about the uh, you know in terms of the green ac- gator acres? You know, do what's your what's your view on the type of development you see that um, because I think there's a lot of residential development around in Parkland. Do you see that as um, like? What do you see the vision of uh, Parkland in, I say, in five years in terms of uh, with these developments happening? So I I guess I'll take that as a two-part question. First off, just with the Gator Acres, I think that having a 55 and up community, another one, will be good for the city. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm in favor of that or I'm in favor of having uh, just uh, no restrictions on the residential life there. But the problem with having no restrictions on the age means that there will be more children coming in, right. which means that we need to expand School. our park, we need to expand our schools, and I don't think we're ready for that. Now, I did just get the numbers of the first day of classes for all the elementary, middle, and high schools, including the charter school, all in Parkland. Mm-hmm. And after analyzing those numbers, I can that we're not at capacity right now. Okay. Um, but with more development means that we will get closer and closer to the capacity, which means that we're going to have to build more schools. And I think that right now we're not ready for that. We haven't started building more schools. That's not even 
in a conversation. Yeah. Um, I know that we're building another park near the wedge, uh, right off Hillsborough and Knob Hill, mm-hmm. but that's not going to be done for another few years. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think that having uh, a non-restricted, non-age-restricted community at the very end of Loxahatchee would be beneficial for Parkland right now. But if the development is going to start uh, within five years from now, like after five years from now, then I'm all in favor of that. Um, but having the 55 and up communities will make Parkland's demographics shift a little bit, but I think it'll shift for the better. And I think that Parkland's an amazing place to live, and it's currently a place where everyone wants to raise a family. Mm-hmm. And when I grew up, it wasn't really a place to retire. Right. Um, but now I'm starting to see that it is. It's not in the city, and it's a nice, calm place, beautiful place to, to live no matter how old you are. Absolutely. And I think also it's a, the balance. I think Parkland has grown quite a lot and it will continue to grow. I think your point about the infrastructure, I think if you can take advantage of the different age distributions to to sort of um, make the infrastructure problem easier, I think that could be a good a good way to develop and not uh, put our infrastructure in too much of stress. Correct. Um, in terms of the, the businesses, so once we develop all these res- residents, um, like what residential, residential areas, what do you see in terms of the business side? Do you see that as something that uh, we should develop a little bit or what's your thoughts on that? So I, I'm, not, I'm not all for development. I know development happens whether, whether we like it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why one of my biggest priorities is to maintain responsible development. Mm-hmm. Uh, keyword being responsible because I don't, I don't want to see so many uh, farms being turned into residential communities right. all at once. I think right. that we need to gradually develop and we need to gradually increase our city's population. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of businesses, um, as you know, we only have three small um, like business uh, like shopping Malls. plazas. Yeah. We have the one um, like which, is, which holds the Publix. Yep. We have one... Um, that's toward, or we have two on East Parkland yep. and they're, they're all fairly small. Yeah. Um, and I know that a lot of people are all for supporting local businesses as am I. Um, but I want to take it a step further and I don't want to just support our local businesses that have brick and mortar stores in Parkland. Mm-hmm. I want to support local businesses that have their stores, uh, outside of the city. Right. So for example, if, if you own a pizza restaurant in Coconut Creek, Mm-hmm. but you're a Parkland resident, then I want to support your business no matter where it is. Right. If you have a, a printing business that's based out of New Jersey, mm-hmm. even though you own the business and you live in Parkland, I want to support your printing business. Yep. So I think that it's very important uh, that we take that into consideration because the majority of business owners that live in Parkland don't have their businesses located within the city. Right. So... I, I definitely want to take that into consideration. And one idea that I had was to create some sort of uh, platform on the city's website mm-hmm. where you can look up any business, any type of occupation that you'd like, whether it's you need an attorney, you, you want to see a doctor, um, or whatever your heart desires, mm-hmm. and you type it in and it'll give you a list of all of the home, all of the business owners that live in Parkland. Um, that way we can support our uh, local businesses that way. No, absolutely. There's a lot of local business owners uh, living in Parkland, and I think uh, you actually can probably get everything you need from one of your neighbors, actually. And um, yeah, knowing about it is probably the most important thing. Um, 
But what do you what do you think in terms of the services? You know, when when residents increase, you know, your 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 need for restaurants, banking, all those sort of basic essentials. Do you see that as uh, something that uh, that needs to be also addressed, or this is something that basically we all going to take advantage of the fact that people are going to be online more and do online banking and uh, ordering things in from uh, from delivery. So yeah, so I mean, it's definitely a different world now. Um, and living in this new world of COVID, who knows what it's going to be like afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that we have to plan for really anything. Uh, we need to plan for both options that one, people aren't going to want to go out as much. And two, people are going to go back to the way things were. Um, and unfortunately I don't think that, that this normal that we were used to is going to be there, uh, after COVID goes away. Mm -hmm. I think that we're going to have to get used to this new normal. Now, in terms of, of what, what you were talking about, I think that Parkland is such a unique and beautiful city where we don't have many businesses within our city borders. And I yeah. think that I want to preserve that and I want to preserve that uniqueness and that like beautification that we have within Parkland. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I mean, if, if, you look at, if you look at a map of Parkland and you look at where things are and how much free space we have, we have the, the Hendricks farm left, but other than that, there's not really much to build. Right. Um, and I know that the Heron Bay golf course has been a very big issue recently mm -hmm. um, with right now club link owns it. They have a covenant for about six years. Mm -hmm. And after that, who knows what's going to happen there. So right. um, people are talking about putting commercial like uh, buildings there. People are talking about a park. They're talking about, um, like a nature trail or having building houses. There's a lot of talk there, but there's really not much else that we can build. Right. Um, and I think that we should focus on maintaining and preserving the beautiful city that we all know and love. Yeah, I think that, that that's definitely the, the direction I think most people are, are you know aiming towards. And because I think that's what you see, that's why people moved here. Um, I think that the challenge is going to be like once there's certain density, I think the road infrastructure, it's like, it's like how do people get to the services they need? And um, I think that it, luckily for, for uh, Parkland, it's, it's, uh, it's bounded. It's on like just adjacent to it. There's quite a lot of businesses area, commercial areas. That's a plus. So it's not that bad of a you know, drive to get there. I think it's just that we're bounded on one side of the, um, on the, on the north and west side of it by by uh by land we can develop that's probably the only challenge i think so yeah um in so you i think you mentioned in terms of the the character so so is that your vision of the parkland long term is is maintain its park-like atmosphere is that the uh what do you see in terms of the character of the city developing further yeah so um in in a few years from now i see um i see so many families continuing to raise their families here. I see more parks. I see more nature trails. Right now we have 11 parks and nature trails, but people can only name about five. And I personally bike every single morning. I try and bike to a different part of Parkland um, every morning to just see all of like the beautiful nature that we have. And mm -hmm. like, like I said, it needs to be preserved. It needs to be shown off. We're, we're living in such a beautiful city, but so many people don't know the amazing places that we have. My favorite uh, in particular is the Covered Bridge Park on Holmberg, closer to 441. Mm -hmm. And it's, 
it's so beautiful just walking and biking down there. But only the people on, in East Parkland really have walked and biked down there. Yeah. So I just drive by uh, it, I think. I never really paid. Yeah, you should check it out. That's uh, Exactly, yeah. It de definitely. And, and you have um, near Riverglades, you have a, a few more uh, nature trails. And they're not the, they're not the largest, right. but they're some of the most beautiful nature trails that I've walked down. Yeah. And like, I, I, I have, like, you have no idea how much I love this city <laughs> and how much I want to see this city be improved. And like I said, it, it's a world-class city where we were ranked one of the top 15 safest cities in the country mm -hmm. in 2018. And, and we still are. Right. So, right. so many people are coming from all over to raise their families and now to retire in Parkland. And I want to keep that feeling, but there's some improvements that need to be made. And as uh, the next Parkland City Commissioner for District 1, I will help be proactive in coming up with those improvements. So that, for example, Loxahatchee, like you said, has been like that for years and they, they didn't build it to accommodate all of the development. Right. But when they knew that there was going to be more development, they should have acted sooner and they should have gotten, uh, they should have taken a proactive stance in renovating and repairing that road. And they didn't. And I think, I think it takes time to, for, for any city to like build infrastructure. I think that's always the biggest challenge for a city level. And of it, course. And it costs money, I think. The concern will always be the, the cost associated with it. So how do you see, like in terms of the, should the developer absorb the cost? Like what do you see in terms of that discussion going from the city versus uh, the, the developer building new, new, new areas? Yeah, so I, I, I've been taking a, a close look at our budget, trying to see um, what we can be more cost effective on and, and how we can best utilize our budget. Mm -hmm. um, I know that uh, with the August 18th election, I was paying very close attention to the sheriff's race because yeah. you, you had the, the current um, Broward County Sheriff Gregory Tony, who was um, appointed sheriff January 11th of 2019. Mm -hmm. But prior to his appointment, you had Sheriff Scott Israel. Right. And they were running against each other in the August 18th primary. And thankfully, Gregory Tony won uh, that primary. Mm -hmm. However, um, I've been looking into both whether or not we should stick with Broward County Sheriff's Office or reestablish our own Parkland Police Force. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at the numbers and how much we paid uh, back when we did have a Parkland Police Force mm -hmm. uh, many years ago and how much we're paying now. Mm -hmm. And I do think, and, and I would love to talk with the finance director for the city and sit down and, and come up with like a, uh, an analysis and an assessment on both um, to see which one is more cost effective. But I right. think after looking at the numbers, that having a Parkland police force might make more sense for our city and it might be more financially uh, and fiscally responsible. So that, that's one example. Um, and, and, and we're talking with the finance director and the other city commissioners after the November election, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll come up with a decision. I am very uh, thankful that Gregory Tony was reelected. Mm -hmm. And I think under his leadership, I feel safe, and not, not only do I feel safe, but every resident that I've spoken to feels safe as well. Right. So there's no problem with that. Um, but that's one way that we can maybe be more cost effective and move some of our money around. Um, but there, there's always ways to improve and to to me to be like the the most fiscally uh, like so, so you conservative. Want to 
Yeah, so, you, yep. so your point is basically we should look for where things can be made more efficient and then basically use that uh, savings to basically improve infrastructure. That's correct. That the right, okay. Yes, I, I don't. Because everything that we pay for is uh, is necessary for Parkland. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking at and there's really nothing that we should cut. I don't want to cut anything right. from our budget, but we can move things around. Um and and that's an what we're going to do. It's an opportunity where the city, you know, as long as if the less crime, more, you know, things you do basically can reduce crime, reduce traffic issues, reduce, you know, all these would reduce the police needs. I think that that's a self-fulfilling, you know, goal of trying to reduce cost if you're looking at that. So like, I can see that working. I just, it, it's execution of it. It's probably the most challenging thing whenever you, you're looking for the efficiency improvement. Yes. I mean, right now we use Coral Springs Fire Department for an example, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I spoke with, or yeah, I, I spoke with the finance director uh, a couple days ago, Chris Johnson, and he mentioned that in his nearly 10 years for working for the city, mm-hmm. that he couldn't recall putting together an approximate cost to bring fire rescue in-house. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think that that's his fault. Um, and I don't know whose fault it will, it, it is. However, we should be coming up with an assessment to see how much fire rescue and having our own fire department would cost. Mm-hmm. And if it's going to be uh, cheaper and it's going to be better off for the city, because it's not just like having the cheapest option isn't always the best. Right. Right. Um, and I know that you and I can both agree on yeah, that. No, absolutely. But smart. It's about smartest as uh, like allocating smart, you know, like how, where it's going to put your police, uh, sorry, fire stations and, and uh, how, how well does the residents to prevent fires also, right? Those Correct. And, and if our response times are going to be shortened and if we're going to be spending less money and we're going to be more effective mm-hmm. uh, having our own fire department, like within, like in-house, then I think that that's the smart decision. Absolutely. But if the smart decision is sticking with Coral Springs fire because their response times are better and they're going to keep our our city safe um, from any scale, sort of emergency. Maybe, yeah, there may be some scale benefits when you have joint uh, joint fire departments, probably. Exactly. Yeah. But That's, but I think that the fact that there wasn't an assessment made in the past 10 years um, is a problem, in my opinion. Nice. And the first thing that I will do when I am elected is to work with the city staff and make an assessment for how much the fire is going to be if we moved it in-house to just see our options because right. I'm, I'm a big options guy and I think that you want the data. looking at our options yeah. and seeing which one is going to benefit the city the most is what we always need to do. Absolutely. I think the data is the important and you need to get the, the good you know, quality analysis uh, so you know, the, you know so the, all the city commissioners and the mayor can, can make the right decisions there. Exactly. I, I do think that a lot of the the the, the scale question has changed. The population changed, right? And the, the in some ways, the residential area of Parkland is also increasing since ten years ago. I think that a lot of data would have been, you know, the analysis could very well be different now versus what's the best option ten years ago. So, yeah, and and the, our Parkland police force ten years ago could have um, could have been more expensive. Than Broward, but right. now Broward might be more expensive than reestablishing our Parkland Police Force. And I think that just uh, c- continuing to create these assessments every few years will help the city uh, run more efficiently and more effectively. Absolutely, makes sense. Makes sense. That's a, that's a, no, that's a very good thought. And then you know, I think it, it all comes down to like you know having the city in a in a the budget in a healthy state where 
you know where the um, you're running as efficiently as possible, reviewing it periodically, sort of like investments, right? You you have to do that regularly. So exactly. Um, in, in terms of your like, um, you know, there's a lot of activism in the city from younger folks. You you're you know young, you know, relative to the other candidates. Um, like, how do you feel like the, the the city can harness that energy, and especially how do you keep the energy in the city, helping the city grow? Because you know, kids grow, you know, go to college, and then some of them move on, some stay. Uh, energy changes also, you know, the the the. So I I think that's a very positive thing. The Parkland has a very good history of people voicing their concerns and try to address it, to improve it. Um, what's your thoughts on it? How do you harvest it for long term? Yeah. So so first off. Uh, you mentioned my young age, but I don't think that being young has anything to do with my uh, knowledge, my passion, my dedication, and most importantly, my effectiveness to lead. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, and I'm not saying that. It, no, you, I, you're I, you're by saying the way, that. You're, you're, you're well-versed. Uh, I'm learning a lot from this conversation. So, but, but, but I'm also trying to see how we can harness the energy that like you have and other, other young folks have um, in the community and then you know, make make improvements in uh, you know, and then get them involved in looking for new idea, new way to do things. That's that's yeah. Fine. So it, it's all about community engagement and listening to Parkland residents and allowing for more community engagement will ultimately result in community activism. Mm-hmm. The more engagement that we have at our city events, uh, the more involved the residents will be uh, in the long run. Right. My my family and I have uh, been very active within the city of Parkland community. We've been a proud sponsor and a proud participant of many of the citywide events, including the farmer's market. Mm-hmm. Um, and Parkland, as we all know, has seen a lot of activism on many fronts, um, mainly from the March for Our Lives movement that has been led by 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And all of us, not only in Parkland, not only in Florida and the United States, but all around the world have been following these teenagers um, that have led a worldwide movement. And I think that we are living in a society now where the youth is starting to take control and, and take a lead on things. And I think it's very important uh, to listen to our youth because we have that different, that fresh perspective that not many people have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I've been listening to many residents throughout Parkland that have been calling me, that I've been calling and speaking to both what they love throughout the city and what they want to see improved upon. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that by speaking with them and by um, trying to get them more involved and more engaged will ultimately increase our community activism. Absolutely. I think, I think that's a good, important thing to get a healthy, healthy city because I think when people evolve, they own the, the problems. And I think they also, you get to see the problem earlier. I think those are you know, not just for the city, business, generally anytime when you, when you can, you know, identify problems early and then solve it, get everyone else to solve it. I think that's always a good thing. So, no, I absolutely yeah. agree with and, you. And I mean, a, another thing is that a, a lot of uh, city commissioners historically, or, or not only them, but just a lot of politicians, when they get elected, if they're elected into a part-time job, which the city commission position typically is, they, they will either put in their part-time job uh, amount of work Mm-hmm. And they'll listen to their residents that reach out to them, and that's how they uh, run the city. Parkland, mm-hmm. in particular, is not like that. And that's what I love most about the city is the city commissioners, from what I've seen, actually care about their residents. Yep. And when I'm elected in November, 
I, like you said, I'm, I'm just recently going to have graduated and I'm going to dedicate my entire time to Parkland. And this will be my full-time job um, because I'm, I'll be right out of college and I'm going to make the most out of my time actively call residents. I'm not going to wait for them to call me. If there's an issue with Pine Tree Estates, I'm going to call those residents and hear what they have to say because their voice is important. If there's an issue with the Heron Bay Golf Course, I'm going to call the, those residents that are directly affected that live on the water next to the golf course. If there's an issue with the new development, I'm going to call those residents. So I, I don't want to wait and, and sit around and wait for them to come to me because a lot of times people don't want to and they don't necessarily feel comfortable reaching out. But I want to proactively reach out to them and hear what they want to see because I was elected by them to represent them. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I think though, I think you have a very powerful message, and 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 um, I think it's it's important for this you know this the the city to to sort of understand the the you know your what you're proposing all the residents to understand it. I think that's the the key challenge you know when local communities. So I I hope. You can continue to do that, and then all the forums. You know, even with the COVID um, limiting somewhat uh, public, you know, meetings. But hopefully, that this this channel or any other forum that you're able to get your message out. I think these are very powerful messages. Yeah, I, I mean, thank you for that, and I I want to thank you for for allowing me the uh, the platform to speak about uh, my vision for the future of Parkland because it is very difficult to to actively reach out to people. Um, I know that I have a call list and I'm trying to call every single resident before election day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's definitely harder that I'm not actively canvassing and knocking on doors every day right. and being in person with so many of the residents because of COVID. Yes. And I, I wish that things were different. And I know that we all wish things were different, but unfortunately this is our reality. Yeah. I think in, in this reality, I do feel that there's new opportunities when that happens. And I, it, it, it's, it's like, Life, you're gonna be throwing curveballs sometimes, and I think how are we, how we all respond to the various, you know, our different ways our lives are changed, and how to make it sort of uh, adjustments. I think that's the sign of the, you know, that that's an important test that we all should face. So, it is definitely an important test. Thanks, Alex, for very detailed discussion. Uh, good luck on your race, and thanks for our audience listening. Hope you can join us for our next episode. So subscribe to our podcast. Thanks.